Welcome, listeners, to the Health Science Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Box. Thank you so much for joining us today for this discussion. The intro music was Daniel Hughes. If you want to hear more, check out the link in the description. My co-host is the wonderful Zach Hunter. And Zach, could you just uh, do me a favor? Close your eyes. They're closed. What do you see? Nothing. That's the world without the fiscal frisk. Wow. Fiscal frisk. Fiscal Frisk is now dedicated to helping you navigate the wide world of finance, not just government policy. If you want to tune in, head over to the Fiscal Frisk on all the same streaming platforms you found us. New episodes Thursday mornings. That was a good plug. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So if you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, You're joining an amazing group of passionate and conscientious listeners. The Health Science Podcast is dedicated to providing you with an objective and scientific approach to all the most Pressing health topics today. We want to make you knowledgeable and health science research approachable. Boom. What is on today's agenda, you might ask? Well, this is a topic that I've kind of known about for a long time, uh, but for some reason I never got around to putting it on the podcast. Today's topic has to do with how we define addictions. Okay. Um, and the consequences of this debate, as you'll soon see, could have you know very large implications in the lives of those that have an addiction. Um, family members of those, um, everybody. Now, everything from access to resources to social stigmas they may experience, Mm -hmm. um, lots of stuff. So the title is simply On the Biomedicalization of Alcoholism. Um, So this is is not an experiment paper. Uh, So this is analysis of kind of the evidence for and against what they are referring to as biomedicalization of alcoholism. What does that mean? Okay. So they say that there is a shift in how we define alcoholism. Science is showing us that you know neuroscience and genetics can actually be tools in predicting who is and who may be susceptible to alcohol abuse. Um, and that this shift kind of flies in the face of the older notion of alcoholism, that it was a sign of moral weakness. Yeah. Um, and biomedicalization means stressing the role of biology when describing alcoholism. Okay. Um, it brings it more toward being a disease rather than a sequence of bad choices. And that the issues that these people endure um, are, are less of a fault of their own. Yeah. Now, the challenge here is parsing out um, all we know about addictions in order to kind of rationalize why this may be good or bad. There are proponents kind of on both sides and there are good arguments Uh, for both. And you'll see here that the answer, like most issues, lies much closer to kind of the middle or kind of a combination of these two definitions um, in this case. So the authors state that there are three main arguments that people will have when it comes to the biomedicalization of alcoholism. So they're going to state arguments against this, um, and then they're going to kind of dissect their position. Do they think these arguments are valid or not? Um, and, and what could the implications of those uh, concerns actually be? So number one, that classifying alcoholism as a chronic brain disease, in this case, biomedicalizing it, yep. could result in individualization and could completely ignore the other factors that play into addiction, like someone's family stability, their social circles, so external factors. So it's going to yeah. make it more about the person. For sure. Uh Number two is that it could lead to stigmatization toward alcoholics and towards those who are genetically more susceptible to becoming alcoholics. Yeah. And number three, that a classification could lead to people's autonomy being infringed upon 
Um, now, if those don't make sense right now, don't worry, we're going to kind of dive into each one individually and we'll give the author's perspective and then some of ours as well. So the first point, the individualization of alcoholism. So the threat here is that all the attention goes to the disease, yeah. which is located at the level of the individual. This has the threat of um, kind of forgetting all of the other important aspects that can predict an addiction, uh, most importantly being your social environment. And when we say social, we don't just mean like your friends, anyone who's socialized with you, which is interaction. So this includes your family, your community, right. and even to a point, society. Like how do we view alcohol? Yeah. Um, and how do we view kind of club culture? Like all that kind of stuff can play into it. Yeah, for sure. And that reducing... The, the definition of alcoholism or how we define it um, to that ignores all of these cultural factors like this. They're all excluded. Yeah. And it really does. And, but what do the authors have to say about this concern? And this is kind of an interesting approach. So to sum it up, they essentially state that the biomedical approach does not rule out these factors. Right. So that the argument is saying, well, you're going to forget about all these other ones. They're saying, well, no, the biomedical approach of describing it doesn't. Why do they say that? They call it bio, biological reductionism. Now, Zach, are you familiar with the term reductionism? No. What do you think it means? It's just probably that it's oversimplified, like, yes. a, like an argument. Yeah, essentially. So like it's, it's reduced. So essentially means that the argument that the biomedical model makes is in reality not that simple. A reductionist argument means reducing the argument down to its main or fundamental building blocks. Um, meaning we take away all the nuance of that argument. We right. simplify it too much, yeah. um, which is essentially what you said. So the reason they argue that the, the alcoholism is a brain disease, sorry, the reason they argue this is that when they talk about alcohol being a brain disease, it's usually made in the context of what's known as the biopsychosocial model, um, which is a big word. Yes, It's a model that's made up of literally three words, almost in succession, bio, psycho, and social. So meaning that they're all three dimensions. There's biological, there's psychological, and there's sociological. So essentially, the argument that the biomedical model would exclude social and psychological factors is false, and it's reductionist because the biomedical explanation is only used in conjunction with a larger model that right. includes psychology and sociology. Now, how could we add to this discussion? The one thing I would point out is the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. Um, and this is kind of partially why we started the podcast, because this is a format that allows for longer, more in-depth conversations. Yeah. Whereas someone watching the news would just see the results of a new study right. with no explanation as to how it adds to our understanding. Yeah. What happens is it's really easy to take new knowledge and replace the older stuff. So from a public perception point of view, I could see the recent developments in our knowledge of alcoholism uh, towards the biomedical model, potentially pushing people to believe that this is the only thing. Yeah. And let's, let's be real here. Like, I don't know about you, Zach, but like I've definitely heard people, not just alcoholism, but any addiction, they do reduce it to the biomedical. They say, well, um, and they may be well-intentioned, but maybe slightly misinformed. But I've heard a lot of people say, like they take all of the blame away they, they they name it as just a disease yeah so that's even what they we've don't heard take into well that. because like it's literally the opposite of like the old stigma because like what we said before it shifted from it being like oh it's just someone's like not strong enough like they just can't stop drinking or anything to that yeah. 
to now where it's like it's just a disease like when like what you said where most things lie within the middle so people started from the beginning and now people are just like it's just a disease now instead of it being somewhat towards it's more complex yeah so like there there is some there is a lot to be said with the social environment and the one I, I can't remember the numbers and you'll have to look it up, but it was with the Vietnam war. Um, they realized that there was like a tremendous amount of people that were addicted to heroin. Yeah. And the majority of them, when they got home, they just stopped it. Yeah. Like it was like, the numbers are crazy. It was like 95% of people that are 90 or 95, really crazy numbers um, who go into therapy for heroin when they return to their original environment, get back into it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that, that speaks volumes about this. So when they had heroin, when they were in the war, obviously there's a lot of stress, Yeah, a lot of factors going into it. You just yeah. completely remove them that put them back in a normal life and like barely any of them kept doing it. Hmm. So we've heard people do this. So the authors say that's a reductionist argument. I'd be like, well, careful because a lot of people are reductionists, yeah. right? Like the way they hear it. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily people's fault. Again, it's, it's a news thing. They say new study says this. Yeah. Again, instead of adding to our knowledge, we replace the old knowledge. Yeah. And in this case, again, it has to be kind of a combination of both. So that would be my critique on that. So um, somewhat do kind of agree with the original argument. I agree with them. I think mm-hmm. there's way more to it. Oh, yeah. Whether people are hearing that, that's kind of a different question. And we don't have numbers on that, on kind of the public perception. But that's what could possibly be happening. And, and we've seen it. Um, in our lives, and I'm sure it's happen, happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the next point has to do uh, with stigmatization and discrimination. And this is where things could actually get kind of scary. Uh, so the biomedical model posits that it's a neurological disease, right? Um, which are understood to have permanent effects, which could jade the view of some recovering alcoholics as as being permanently tempered, right? Is that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic kind of thing. And even if you're right. not drinking anymore, um, you would still have less brain capacity than, than someone. And um, that's not a very good thing to be have hanging over the heads of, of uh, recovering addicts. So, and in the genetic component on top of that could also get misinterpreted. So we've talked about risk on the podcast, um, you know, with, with, exercising with different foods mm-hmm. um you know let's imagine you see some some flashy numbers being posted about the risk of addiction so if we did a, a genetic test on you and you said zach you're like eight times more you know at risk than me to, to develop an addiction uh and that it runs in the family what happens to the view of someone who has a relative with with alcohol addiction yeah right that could that could be inf- that could influence people's perceptions on that too and it's a misunderstanding right. of the genetics there's um, much more at play. It's not like you have a genetic marker and all of a sudden you're going to be an alcoholic, but you can't, ex- under, you can't expect people to understand that. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the authors acknowledge that this could actually make people at risk for discrimination. And the one thing I wanted to point out is not just discrimination in the sense of our culture and sure it could be damaging and demoralizing, but it could actually become legal. You know, let's, let's assume, let's say some uh, insurance companies, they don't want to cover at risk people. Right. They do health checks before you get your coverage. A lot of them do. And now they're, they're advertising stuff. I think, um, is it Canada healthcare? There's, there's some Canadian company that does it now. So if you want more coverage on top of it, they say you don't need a medical exam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because traditionally they always do that. And they say, well, if you're just an absolute train wreck and you're going to die in the next five years and we're going to be paying all these bills, yeah. we're not going to cover you. So or you'll have to pay extremely high prices. To yeah, or that exactly. So what if they find out you're at risk for developing alcoholism by 
doing, you know, genetics tests. You just, right. you got to send in a cheek swab and they deny you coverage. What if employers start doing this? Right. Right. The implications could be quite concerning. You get that ball rolling and now it's like. Well, and again, just because you're more likely to become one doesn't mean that you are going to become one. Yeah, it doesn't mean you will. But again, if there's an interpretation of that, especially when money's on the line, like if these yeah. companies aren't wanting to pay much more money, then it's like, and they feel it's within their rights to discriminate on this basis, they very might well could. So, but right. you also point out the opposite could be true. You could get some destigmatizing these people um, as now they're not understood as being morally suspect people, um, as but more of someone who has a disease. Um which is interesting, and they mentioned this um, because they mentioned that the argument for for uh, biomedical um, being uh, just this, just a medical issue, they said it was a reductionist argument. They said no one would be, no one would ever actually look at someone from the biomedical model and say it's a disease. They'd say it's partly a brain disease. There's lots of social factors. But then they choose to prove their next point by bashing the simple argument. <laughs> like they say the words, quote, if alcoholics are seen as people who are ill, they no longer will be condemned as morally weak persons. So then they themselves use the reductionist argument. Yeah. Right? Because this biopsychosocial, the larger model, would never just say someone is just ill. Yeah. Right? It would take into account a blend of illness, psychological and sociological factors. So the argument here is strong, but not airtight um, and they end the section by saying that the optimal solution would to be to add in the biomedical knowledge we have now um, while fighting the genetic determinism case now genetic determinism being that if you've got the gene you must be an alcoholic so right. fighting that understanding while adding in the biomedical knowledge and they say It'd be better if we had more public awareness. And be like, well, authors, if it only that easy. I know. <laughs> it's like, great, if everyone knew exactly what to think you do with all the information, we'd be a lot better off. But that's why we're here to help. So exactly. maybe the authors could uh, send us a thank you and say, <laughs> for helping people understand it. Yeah. Now, the last point has to do with limiting people's individual liberties. Yep, this one's a little complex because yeah. the authors discuss a lot of context right? and they balance the morality of deciding um, to essentially force someone into rehab. Um, but by definition, this could be considered abusive or coercive, right? Like you're, you know, yeah, if you don't go to rehab, you're not seeing your daughter or whatever kind of methods they could do. Well, and that's so hard in social work in general, right? Like to even define that just yeah. for what programs and social stuff that you can get. But the case they make is that it's ultimately best in the best interest for the person and the people around them, right? And and it's a balance here. And they go into all these different contexts, which is kind of weird because it's like, I don't know, to me, most things are either moral or immoral. Like you do them or you don't, Yeah. right? It, it's So they, they talk about, you know, that they say, um, quote, some argue that the neurobiological perspective, again, we called it the um, uh, biomedicalized, but they're talking about the same thing. Um, this perspective implies that the autonomy and decision-making capacities of the severely long-term alcohol addicted, addicted person is undermined. So the medicalization could potentially be used to say that a person who has alcoholism is incapable of making their own decisions. Right. Right. Whereas if it were a moral thing, it'd be have to do with more about their willingness to do it. Right. Right. So now, uh, instead of being on their willingness, 
it's it's not it's it's you have a problem you can't control it yeah and the legal system could get involved in making someone go to rehab against their will and again to to a lot of people this isn't concerning as it is in their best interest if someone's abusive um you know to their to their children and wives or, or husbands and you know sending them rehab seems like just the right choice to do right. but again by definition you are limiting and coercing their individual liberty yeah so and again this is also seen in kind of a broader shift in the medical system where we've put more emphasis on personal autonomy so we say right we'll give you all the information and you get to make the decision and like as yep. doctors as nurses if we think you're making the wrong decision we can tell you that we just say you know what my professional opinion says you should do this but ultimately we've given you all the options you've weighed them you decide what you want to do with your own health so yeah um which is interesting right because i think the the uh the prevailing notion is like if you're going to be a danger to yourself or others it's like they have the moral obligation to send you to rehab right but at the same time as as a whole the medical system's kind of shifting away to that we're shifting to doesn't matter whether you're going to hurt yourself or not right your your freedom to choose what you want that's the health care you want to be provided yeah so it can be problematic because under some circumstances you know people may actually not be in a position to make those decisions yeah. like ob objectively. So, you know, the uh, autonomy of these people could arguably be sacrificed and, you know, the, the authors kind of argue both sides. Um, but yeah. again, we're not going to really comment on what way we think is the best. I think moral decisions are something that are kind of challenging to approach objectively. Well, cause you can't, cause it's all personal bias. So we'll, we'll let you guys kind of interpret that information. Right. Yeah. Um, but we'll leave on one final quote from the paper they say uh, Nicholas Rose says, quote, the term medicalization may be the starting point of analysis, a sign of the need for analysis, but it should not be the conclusion of the analysis, which is a good point. Yeah. Always take into account all the pieces of the puzzle and we learn new knowledge. Don't get rid of the old stuff. Uh, yeah. The new stuff is most likely building off of the old knowledge that we had in the first place, right? Yeah. And we, we incorporate that. And there are some things that we learn and we say, yeah, we're just going to get rid of that. Um, but for the most most cases, we, we're learning more and we're adding it to our knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that's it for the discussion. Um, we hope it was thought-provoking topic. Um, and we want you to get involved for comments or topic suggestions. My contact is in the description. As always, music by Daniel Hughes. And go over and check out the Fiscal Frisk Thursday Fiscal mornings. Here's Zach explain all the latest in the finance world. So... For Zach and I, stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you next time on the Health Science Podcast.